Welcome to Putting Up Numbers, the podcast about uniform numbers. Here we break down the stories behind the numbers, talk to the all-time greats that made the number iconic, and let you know who wore it best with our uniform number Hall of Fame. You can also hit us up at puttingupnumbers.com and give us your picks. I'm Tom Davis in the City of Angels, and joining me, as always, from Dallas, he's the chilly most from coast to coast. It's Rudy Klanick. Rudy, tell him today's number. Today's number is number 21. Number 21 is our number, and man, it is quite a number. We've got a ton of players, a ton of really, really good players in every sport that wore number 21. But before we jump into that, we talked to a 21, a pretty famous uh, 21. You see him on TV so often, it's as if he has his own sitcom. It's uh, Jay Billis, and we talked to Jay Billis. He wore number 21 at Duke. And our interview is as follows. I thought it really turned out great. Hope you enjoy it. To paraphrase Pete Gillen, our guest today is on TV more than leave it to Beaver. Jay Billis is one of the foremost analysts in college basketball today. He was a four-year starter at Duke, where he played on the first of Mike Krzyzewski's 12 Final Four teams. He also won back-to-back national championships as an assistant coach at Duke, where he also picked up a law degree. As a lawyer, he once defended a costume business against copyright claims made by the overly litigious Barney the Dinosaur. And oh, there's more. He also serves on the boards of Coaches vs. Cancer and the Duke Brain Tumor Center. And since he's joined ESPN in 1985, he's a five-time Emmy nominee and won the prestigious Kurt Gowdy Award from the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 2016. If all of that isn't enough, he's an accomplished actor, author, and he has a first-rate Twitter account. Jay Billis, you underachiever, welcome to Putting Up Numbers. Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be with you. I hope you guys are doing well. We are. We are. Thanks for being here. So let's dive right into it. Number 21, Jay. How did number 21 come your way? Well, that was the first number I had in high school. I liked it because Roberto Clemente wore number 21. And uh, so I was a, a fan of his. And and uh, so when I got to high school and got my first varsity jersey, I got number 21. Man, there's some great basketball 21s. Tim Duncan, Dominique Wilkins, Kevin Garnett, all obvious uh, Hall of Fame talent. Jimmy Butler. 21 is kind of a basketball number. I, it's kind of a weird number, honestly, for basketball. I, didn't, I never thought of 21 and when I think of basketball until we – we dug into it, and obviously you made it famous around uh, Durham, North Carolina as well. So 21 is a good number you had. Yeah, it was. it's actually at Duke. 21 is the most productive number in Duke history because it had a bunch of good players to wear it, but nobody ever got to retire. You've had a lot of pretty good players over the years wore it there. Well, that's a, that's a great stat. That's a great jersey number stat. That might be their <laughs> best jersey number stat so far, Tom. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I think so. You know, you mentioned Duke, obviously, um, your team, first Coach K's first Final Four team. At the time, did you guys know, hey, this is the start of something super special? Did you guys know that then? Or you just got, man, we're just doing what, our, what we're going to do and we'll see where it goes from there. But did you feel that? Well, we thought it was when we got there. We were the number one ranked recruiting class uh, in 1982, you know, uh, high school class. And then there was a lot of fanfare and we got to Duke. But God, we got our ass kicked our freshman year. We started basically all freshmen and and we were 11 and 17. So it was a hard year. So whatever grand plans we had, you know, we got brought back down to earth pretty quick. But after that, we were we were really good after that, nationally ranked every year after. And uh, I don't know that while we were doing it, we were thinking so much about, hey, you know, we're laying the foundation for, you know, we're the founding fathers of this great. We weren't thinking that. We were just trying to win for us. But it turned out that Coach K built something incredible there and as good as the teams we played on especially the last one that we we won 37 games our senior year that was a record that stood till 2012 i think that was the record you know who would have thought i mean when we left there i think a lot of people thought well we'll never get better than this year and and it did it got it got better than that jay you you've done so many different things you're an author you're obviously on tv you were a coach you're a lawyer but the acting, we have to talk about the acting. First off, you appeared on one of Rudy and I's favorite shows of all time, The White Shadow, wearing number three, incidentally, if you don't remember. What was that experience like? Well, that came from one of my teammates from really when I was in fourth grade all the way through high school it was Matt Baker. Matt was a neighbor of mine. 
And his dad, Dick Baker, was the head coach at Loyola Marymount years ago and has been a scout for the Dallas Mavericks for, I don't know, 40 years probably. Well, Dick Baker, Matt's dad, was an extra in just about everything. Anytime there was there was a coach or official or something like he was in that movie Gus with the, uh, <laughs> the field goal kicking uh, yeah, uh, yeah. donkey, all that stuff. And so he was the technical consultant for the White Shadow. And so he got our entire team on that show in, I think, 1979, maybe. So that was really cool for us. You know, we were all 16, 17 years old and got to meet all the guys. That was a really hot, you guys remember, that was a really hot show back then. And we were dumb enough to think that those guys, all the actors were kind of our age. <laughs> and, and they were in their late 20s and early 30s. You know, <laughs> and we're like, going, hey, you know, my mom's picking me up after this. How are you getting home? They're smoking. And you know, we, we, had, we had no idea what the hell was going on. Uh, but it was really fun. We we got a huge kick out. Like being on TV back then was was a uh, was a big deal for sure. And obviously that was a springboard then to the silver screen and I come in peace. One of the great cinematic uh, robberies of all time that you didn't get nominated for that performance. How how did that happen, Jay? When I graduated from college, I got a phone call from somebody that worked in the uh, PR department for the Lakers that said, "Hey, there's a commercial being shot." And they're looking for uh, six, eight white guys that have some basketball experience. Would you be interested? And it was a Minolta camera commercial. And I kind of thought, okay, well, I, this gives me an inside track to this thing. This is great. So I went to an audition and I was one of 75 guys look just like me. I'm going, okay, this has no shot. And I actually wound up getting the part. And while we were filming the commercial, one of the camera guys was a basketball fan. So he was asking me, hey, who's your agent? And I told him, I, well, Larry Fleischer, and you know, I'm, I, just signed a, I got, just signed a contract to play overseas and all that stuff. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, who's your theatrical agent? I go, well, I don't have a theatrical What are you talking about? <laughs> he says, you can make a lot of money in commercials. Like, you need to have an agent. And, uh, and he said, you can get into the union just by virtue of getting a job. And so I, I joined the union through the Taft-Hartley Act. I got an agent. And then he said, uh, he says, have you ever done any acting? And I told him about how good I was in the school play. <laughs> and he said, well, let me send you on a couple of auditions. If you like the process, we'll send you on some more. And the first one was for the science fiction film with uh, Dolph Lundgren in it. So I read for the part. And I thought, like, after I walked out of the audition, I thought, well, that was uh, what a bomb that was. And I got a call back and then another call back and I got the part and I wound up being an alien cop and, uh, and it was awesome. <laughs> I mean, I loved it, but I, you know, I was playing overseas and then I got a, uh, an offer. Coach K offered me a coaching, coaching job at Duke. So I took that and went to law school. So I never really followed up back then. I got a call asking me if I would want to be uh, one of, you know, on the cast of American gladiators. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? That looks so weird. So I had to turn it, you know, I had to turn it down. I don't know if I ever would have gotten the, the, the job, but I got, I got a call asking me if I would audition for it. And uh, uh, so, so bizarre. I'm so glad that never came to fruition because I would not have looked good in those tights. <laughs> <laughs> you could have been operating the tennis ball cannon. You remember the tennis ball cannon? <laughs> yeah, I remember all that stuff. That was awesome. Yeah, I'm really uh, glad. I'm really glad that never happened. You, you obviously took the right, the correct road. Um, so you won two national championships as an assistant coach uh, with Coach K, right? And um, and then your law degree propelled you into a, um, a court case against Barney the Dinosaur, which was tougher, which was harder, which was more challenging. Uh, Barney the Dinosaur or winning two national titles, man? Barney the Dinosaur by far. For sure. Because uh, <laughs> that, that was an important case, even though the subject matter was laughable. The case was actually really important. And so my kids were little at the time. So they're watching that stuff at home and I got to deal with it all day at work. Uh, I was so tired of that thing. I couldn't believe it. So when, when, when the case was over and we won, there's no way we should have won that case. And we won. And the partnership that owned Barney totally miscalculated that. Yep. And they thought they were going to slap our client around and we had no choice but to take it to trial. And then we won. But it was a it was a great lesson to not overplay your hand because they certainly did. You've obviously been an outspoken critic of the way that college sports is run today, and 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 rightfully so. If you could be the czar or maybe the head of the NCAA, your will be done. What would you change, like 
tomorrow? Well, I think it would be pretty easy. I would just allow athletes the same economic rights as literally everybody else. You hear people and look, reasonable minds can differ and how you run your school may differ from how I run mine or all. That's fine. That's what market competitors do. The NCAA has been a serial antitrust violator for all these years, banding together to limit the compensation of only one class of person, that being the athlete. And when people say, well, I'd, I'd do anything to get a scholarship and I'd be grateful. I mean, it's a privilege to play as if it's not a privilege to work there. But there are a lot of, a lot of students that get scholarships that aren't athletes. And nobody says, well, you're getting a scholarship to a fine institution and getting a free education. Therefore, you should not be able to earn or accept anything beyond that scholarship while you're in school. That is just not fair to the rest of us who are paying our own way. They don't say that. They only say it to an athlete and the athletes being sold literally for billions of dollars. And so my thing would be all the schools or market competitors compete for players and and allow the players to earn or accept whatever they can in the marketplace and the world will still be on its axis <laughs> they still have to turn their papers in on time and they still have to take their tests you can still have your same eligibility rules but you won't be able to limit anyone based upon money and so players will make decisions based upon where the best school is for them where the best place to play is and how money figures in but it wouldn't be that difficult and the idea that oh my god you know college basketball would collapse under its own weight or college football if if player nobody would watch anymore you know that's that's sort of been proven false over the years if we would stop watching because zion williamson had a shoe contract you would think they'd stop watching because of the multi-billion dollar tv deals or the fact that saban and sweeney and and coach k are making nine million dollars a year each you know that might turn some people off but oh no, it's only if, if Zion gets more than a scholarship, then I'm out. I'm not going to watch anymore. They don't do that with any other sport. Like what I find interesting is when the NCAA says what differentiates college sports from the pros are the fact that they're played by amateurs and they're played by amateur students. Well, okay, if the SEC and the ACC and the Pac-12 start paying their players, then the Ivy League is going to be the most marketable league. You know, people watch the Ivy League. not going to happen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Come on, man. Yep. That's not true. And that's not true. And everybody knows it. And they use that same ridiculous logic with regard to the Olympics. They said, oh, you, know, you, you have pros in the Olympics. It's going to ruin everything. And the Olympics are more popular now than they've ever been. And you got NBA players playing in the Olympics and people watch it at a higher rate than ever. Absolutely. Jay, I've got a daughter going back to school. She's a Texas Tech senior this year. Do you think she'll be um, watching Chris Beard and Tech basketball? What, what's this fall and winter you think going to look like college sports-wise? I'm hopeful, but uh, realistic at the same time. I think it's going to be really difficult for college sports to go forward unless the players are isolated. And, and they're certainly not going to be able to have the same sort of bubble they have down in Orlando for the NBA. I'm not suggesting that, but you can certainly, and look, we have institutions doing it now. They, they've already, you know, some of these places have already isolated their athletes for football and basketball. And I think you're going to have to do that. And, and you're going to have to keep them away from the general student population to the extent you have that on campus. And I, I think there are going to be some teams that say, look, all, all of your schooling is going to have to be virtual. We can't have you sitting in class and then hope we can play a season. You're, they're not going to be able to do it. So, you know, football is going to be the grand experiment. We'll see what happens. I think it's going to be even harder for basketball, one, because it's an indoor sport. But also, two, there's way more travel in basketball. But I just think looking at what's happening with baseball, that's going to happen in football. And the, the thing that's sort of disappointing about the way the, the college space has handled this is, you know, you've got all these infectious disease experts on these campuses and all these administrators and whether they're in Indianapolis with the NCAA office or whether they're conference commissioners, they're all saying, well, you know, we uh, consult with our scientists and our experts. Well, what are they telling you and why aren't you telling us what they're telling you? And then what are the metrics that you're using? How many infections is too many? We haven't really had that discussion. We hadn't had, haven't had the discussion about what kind of risk we're willing to undertake. And then who's taking the risk? Because it's the players. You know, the players are taking a risk. And, you know, I thought a lot was revealed in that SEC telephone conference the other day. I didn't hear any answers that would have made me feel any better if I were a player. Now, whether the guys play or not, 
you know, we'll see. There's a lot of question marks still, and I'm not sure there should be so many question marks as we head toward play in less than a month. Agreed. So, Jay, you are uh, going to be the voice of the people for us. Here are our sort of top five all-time number 21s, and we're going to ask you to rank them in whatever order you'd like to rank them. Here are the top five that we have in no particular order. Uh, Roger Clemens, Roberto Clemente, Tim Duncan, Stan Makita, Deion Sanders. If you had to rank those five in terms of who wore number 21 best as a fellow number 21, how would you rank them? I would go Clemente one, Tim Duncan two, probably Roger Clemens from there, Dion, and then even though his donuts in uh, <laughs> Stan Makita's donuts in the Wayne's World movie were, were legendary. Uh, I would put Stan Makita at number five there. Get this man an order of five holes. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice job, Jay. <laughs> great, great job. Jay, you're a big fan of Young Jeezy. We got to talk about that a little bit. I wake up every day and I look at your tweet and you started off in the right way with an awesome rap lyric. How'd that start? And uh, are you running out of rap lyrics? Are you going to go to Drake? Are you going to go to uh, Post Malone? Or are you going to stick with it? I, I, I'm sticking yeah. with it uh, for the foreseeable future. And it really started kind of by accident, honestly. When I grew up in Southern California, I listened to all kinds of music. I mean, I was a huge Beatles fan growing up, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, you name it but also got hooked on rap music when I was in high school, when the Sugar Hill Gang came out with Rapper's Delight. That was my first introduction to rap music. And we all knew Rapper's Delight backwards and forwards. And uh, it was probably 2010, I'd say. We were in East Lansing uh, at Michigan State and Draymond Green was listening to headphones and he was on our set. We asked him what he was listening to and he said it was Young Jeezy. And Hubert Davis was giving me a hard time. He said, is that on your iPod? And I said, well, actually, yes, it is. And so I think through Twitter going back and forth with people, people, you know, didn't really believe that. So the lyric thing started kind of to show, okay, you know, here, here are a couple of lyrics here or there. And, uh, and it just kind of took off and became a thing. So I, I can't even explain it, but it, it just became a thing. And, and then I got a chance to, to meet Jeezy every once in a while. He will, he'll text and say, Hey, you want to drop, I got a new album coming out. Do you, I want you to drop it. And I'll go, okay. <laughs> uh, so that, that's kind of fun and somewhat ironic that the, uh, the uncoolest person on the planet does something cool like that. Awesome story. I love it. I love it. Great idea. Excellent. Well, Jay, we have hit the, uh, the plug zone. So as we said at the top, you're on TV more than leave it to beaver anyway. <laughs> To quote the uh, the fate the Gillen. great Gillen, um, but anything coming up that you want to promote? Movies, books, appearances, camps, uh, anything of the of that nature? I got a tea time on Thursday at one. If anybody wants to come out and watch, um, but other than, that, other than that, the NBA draft is probably the next thing I'll be I'll be doing. The lotteries on uh, August the twentieth. And uh, and then the draft is uh, is October. Can you believe this? The NBA draft is going to be October the 16th, I believe. <laughs> I mean, we'll have the draft you know, about the time they try and have a World Series if they get there. Amazing. Yeah. Well, Jay, we thank you very much for being uh, with us here on Putting Up Numbers. As the great Sugar Hill Gang said, don't stop rocking to the bang, bang, boogity beat. We'll see you down the road. Thanks a lot for appearing. We appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. Good to be with you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Jay. Rudy, we have an absolute ton of show here. So let's dive right in. We heard Jay at the very end kind of give us his top five. His number one guy, Roberto Clemente, is a baseball guy. So let me just run through the baseball list for you. And again, there's so many great number 21s that it's almost hard to list the contenders in a proper order. So here are some guys who are just notable, who are not on our contender list, but at least deserve to be name checked. Carlos Delgado, Jeff Kent, Mike Hargrove, Ruben Sierra, and the great Terry Poole. The sentimental favorites would be two older guys, Warren Spahn who came up for a short stint with the Braves wearing number 16. Uh, and it was actually sent to the minors by Casey Stingle because he refused to throw at Pee Wee Reese. He missed three years of baseball while in World War II, where he got a Purple Heart. Then came back, came back up with the Braves, wore number 21 for all 20 of his post-World War II seasons with the Braves, Mets, and Giants. Won 363 games, 17-time All-Star, Cy Young Award winner in 1957, went 23-7 at 42 years of age. The Braves retired his number 21 in 1965, 
and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 73. Bob Lemon didn't turn into a pitcher until after World War II, but he spent his entire 15-year big league career with the Indians, uh, threw a no-hitter in 1948, won 20 games seven times, and he also managed the Royals, uh, the White Sox, and the Yankees, and won a World Series with the Yankees in 1978, uh, was elected to the Hall of Fame in 76, and Cleveland retired his number in 1998. So Warren Spahn and Bob Lemon, two older guys, but guys who certainly deserve to be recognized. And then our list of contenders, uh, Sammy Sosa. Sure, we're going to put him on the contender list. He does have 609 career home runs. Uh, He was an MVP. He has six silver sluggers, seven all-star appearances, and a huge cloud over all of that because of PEDs. But nonetheless, Sammy Sosa gets at least a quick shout out. Roger Clemens, uh, my arch nemesis, Roger Clemens, uh, who pitched 24 seasons, won 354 games, 4,672 career strikeouts, seven Cy Young Awards, won two World Series, 11-time All-Star, not in the Hall of Fame. Tell us real quick, Tom, why is Roger Clemens your nemesis? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I think you were there, Rudy. You remember a little bit, but uh, years ago at DirecTV, where we both used to work, we were doing a commercial starring Roger Clemens. And Roger didn't show up an hour late, not two hours late, not even three hours late, Rudy. He showed up six hours. At a half hours late, six and a half hours. Yep. So Roger wasn't exactly my favorite player uh, that day. Maybe in his defense, he was wearing number 22 with the Yankees at the time and not his familiar 21. Yep. So we're going to give him a break on this pod. But uh, yes, that is the that is the hidden story behind why Roger Clemens is, was, and will always be my arch nemesis. Nice. <laughs> And finally on the list, Roberto Clemente, as uh, Jay Billis mentioned, uh, he came up wearing number 13, but switched to number 21 reportedly because that is the number of letters in his full name. Roberto Clemente Walker, a lifetime average of 317, exactly 3000 hits on the nose, played 18 years, all in Pittsburgh, 15 time all star, four time batting champion. 12 gold gloves, probably the greatest right fielder in history, won two World Series, was MVP of the 71 World Series at age 36. Uh, So Roberto Clemente definitely belongs on the list. So just an absolute ton of baseball guys, but those are the guys that we're going to recognize here, Rudy. What about basketball? Well, basketball is a great number for basketball. Jay mentioned him, you know, at the top of that list has got to be Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan, fantastic player at Wake Forest, an all-world player with the San Antonio Spurs, instant Hall of Famer, of course. He wore 21 in honor of his brother-in-law, Ricky Lowry, who played at a, a D3 school called Capital University. Lowry was the one who got him to play basketball. That led to a 19-year career in the NBA, 15-time All-Star, 15-time All-Defense, two-time MVP, three-time NBA Finals MVP. Oh, and by the way, Rookie of the Year in 98 and won five NBA championships for the Spurs. Tim Duncan is always comes up as best all-time power forward should always come up in that in that debate uh, for starting five all time. The big fundamental, uh, Tim Duncan wore number 21. And, <laughs> he may have uh, also said 21 words in his entire 19-year yeah, NBA career. Which is not going to come in handy if he does keep pursuing a coaching career. That's going to be interesting. Certainly wasn't much pizzazz with Tim Duncan, but uh, San Antonio loves him. Wake Forest, North Carolina people love them. Everybody loves them, except if you're playing against them. So Tim Duncan, one of our top basketball 21s. Dominique Wilkins, a human highlight reel. 21 was the only number available when he made his high school team. Wow, okay. So it wasn't a big decision there. Um, Just grabbed 21. 21, obviously retired by the Atlanta Hawks, where he played a lion's share of his career. The last fur to wear number 21 before Tim Duncan got there. That's pretty cool. He also wore 12 in Boston. Dominique was a fantastic dominant scorer, averaged 24.8 points over 15 years, played for five teams, Hall of Famer in 2006, and a guy that, you know, lit up the, the highlight reels literally, figuratively with his dunks. Big time dunk contest guy with uh, Michael Jordan, Larry Nance, and that ilk. 
a lot of fun to watch play. A little overshadowed, actually, by Michael, you know, since I played in the same era, but a great, great player. It would be a lot of fun to watch if he was playing now. Kevin Garnett wore number 21 when he came into the league, came right out of high school with the Timberwolves, Minnesota Timberwolves, put them on the map, put him on the map. Another great power forward, an intimidating defensive player. He grabbed number 21 to honor both Dominique Wilkins and Malik Seeley. Seeley wore number 21 at St. John's. Garnett would later wear number two with the Nets to honor Seeley, who had been killed by a drunk driver in 2000, leaving Kevin Garnett's birthday party. So it's a really interesting heartbreaking connection for Kevin Garnett with Malik Seeley, but he honored him when he went to the Nets and wore number two. Hall of Famer, no brainer, played 22 years, Timberwolves, Celtics, Nets, like I said, big time defensive guy, MVP in 2004, and uh, was really part of the first like big three, you know, when he, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce joined forces with the Boston Celtics, everybody's like, oh, this is super unfair. They did win a championship, but now joining forces is all in vogue. Kind of started with that three, and uh, Kevin Garnett, one of the greats. Bill Sharman, another great 21, played 10 seasons with the Celtics back in the 50s. You know, he's a Hall of Famer as a coach and a player. I mean, you can only say that about Tommy Heinsohn, Lenny Wilkins, John Wooden, and Bill Sharman. Pretty cool. So those are really the, the top guys. Those are the guys that we would say contenders for the throne of the best basketball 21. We'll get to our final list later. Sentimental favorites. He's always a favorite. Anytime basketball is mentioned around my house is World Be Free. I almost named my son World Be Free, but I went with Jake (laughs) instead. What a great name. What an awesome name, man. Ahead of his time, all about marketing. Averaged 20 points over 13 seasons. He also wore 24 and 12. Credited with almost single-handedly keeping the Cavs from moving out of Cleveland. So good job, World Be Free. Dave Bing, number 21, longtime Piston and Washington Bullet, was a Rookie of the Year in 1967 and one of the all-time greats, one of the NBA's 50 greatest players. Number 21, Vlade Divac, who could score 20 and rip down 12 boards and smoke four cigarettes all in the first half. Vlade (laughs) Divac was incredible. Um, Hall of Famer, uh, Yugoslavian legend. Had a great six-year run with the Sacramento Kings. They were so close to getting over the top. Played for the Lakers, obviously. He will go down as the guy traded for Kobe Bryant to the Charlotte Hornets, but in his own right, a very good player. Played the five, played the four really well. Hall of Famer in 2019, well-deserved. And then other notables with 21 in basketball, Michael Cooper, consummate defensive specialist for the Showtime Lakers. Sleepy Floyd, fantastic. Uh, nickname Sleepy Floyd. Charlie Ward, who played basketball for the Knicks and won something called the Heisman Trophy for the Florida State Seminoles. And Alvin Robertson, a great San Antonio Spur, often overlooked in Spur lore, but uh, one of the greats to wear number 21. Tom, why don't you take us through the mean streets of hockey? Man, there's some good ones in hockey. Yep, definitely there are. So let's talk about a few notables first. Cam Neely, who is really known more for number eight, but he did wear number 21 for his first three years in Vancouver. We also want to give a shout out to Guy Carboneau and Brent Sutter. As far as sentimental favorites, a name that's not well known, two names that are not well known, but maybe they should be, and maybe they are pretty well known if you're a, a big time hockey fan. But Borea Salming was a great defenseman when foreign players really rarely played in the NHL. He played 17 seasons in Toronto, scored nearly 800 points, six time All Star, one of the NHL's 100 greatest players. There is a Borea Salming statue outside of Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. Uh, and he is the first Swede ever elected into the Hall of Fame. Also, Cami Granado. So the sister of Tony Granado and the wife of Ray Ferraro, another NHL player. She won gold as a captain of the U.S. hockey team in 98. She also won a silver medal in 2002. She's the first woman ever inducted into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame in 2010. She's also in the Hockey Hall of Fame and the International Ice Hockey Hall of Fame. There are lots of halls of fame for hockey, and she's in all of them. And she is also now a scout with the Seattle Kraken, and she is only the second female scout ever in the NHL. So Cami Granato deserves a tip of the cap. And then we have the list of 
contenders. And we'll start with Stan Makita, maybe the best center of the 1960s. Played it his entire 22-year career with the Chicago Blackhawks. Went back-to-back MVPs, won a Stanley Cup in 61. Was the NHL's leading scorer four times. First player in Blackhawks history to have his number retired. And was part of that great one-two punch that everybody remembers in Chicago with the Golden Jet Bobby Hall. Peter Forsberg wore number 21 throughout a 13-year career. Won two Stanley Cups, obviously, in Colorado. And also won four gold medals with Sweden. He's fourth all-time in assists per game, eighth in points per game. His number 21 is retired in Colorado. And he is a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame as of 2004. And finally, in hockey, and Rudy, I think you're going to be with me on this one, Mike Arruzzioni. Mike Arruzzioni, who had virtually no professional career, but was the captain of the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team, pulled off the miracle on ice. He scored the winning goal against the Soviets, and then he retired. Yeah, spent the rest of his career really doing a lot of inspirational speaking. Fantastic. And uh, I know we're going to have a little bit of an argument, like who the best hockey number 21 is and Stan Makita probably edges Mike Arruzzioni, but I have a feeling Mike Arruzzioni, or at least a young man that played Mike Arruzzioni in the movie might come up later and I'm voting him <laughs> number one. <laughs> wow. I, I love it. You're teasing. Yes, I'm teasing. Stars. I'm teasing. You've really, I'm coming around to screen stars. You really have around. come around on screen stars. And yeah, I, I, uh, I love, I love that uh, about you. That's nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about football, Rudy. Well, let's talk about football. Before I jump into football, I don't want to forget one legendary 21 that drove a car for a living. So I want to talk about David Pearson. So in NASCAR lore, number 21 was David Pearson. At least 43 of his 105 wins came while driving the number 21 car. He's second all time with 105 wins. Winston Cup champ three times, Hall of Famer in every Hall of Fame possible, and was part of the greatest finish of the Daytona 500 ever when he and Richard Petty wrecked going down the literally the final turn before the finish line. David Pearson was the man. He was a tough guy, not a big, big name guy like Richard Petty, but he was a thorn in the side of Richard Petty for about a decade and a half. So David Pearson, fantastic number 21 at a NASCAR. But let's go to football. Let's do it. You got some good ones. So some notable guys, um, some of my favorites. Charles Woodson played seven seasons with the Packers wearing number 21. Of course, he wore number 24 with the Raiders, part of the most famous non-fumble in football history. War number two, <laughs> winning a Heisman Trophy as a defensive player for Michigan. Tiki Barber, Giants all-time leading rusher. Eric Allen, a great defensive back for the uh, Eagles. And James Brooks, a, you know, kind of a catch uh, out of the backfield, uh, running back for the, uh, the Bengals. All great number 21s for sure. Going to our sentimental favorites for 21, Barry Sanders, uh, who wore 21 at Oklahoma State. You remember he wore 20, just like Billy Sims when he was with the Lions. But at Oakley State, um, where he destroyed the NCAA record book, he wore 21. He won the Heisman in 1988. Maybe the single greatest season in the history of that award. He rushed for 2,628 yards, scored 39 touchdowns, 37 of them on the ground. And he set just 34 NCAA records, just a little number there, 34 NCAA records in 1988. Just incredible. Um, Obviously retired really before the wear and tear took it out of him with the Lions, but had some spectacular years there. Another 21 in college that is another Heisman Trophy guy was Desmond Howard. So Desmond Howard wore 21 with Michigan. Of course, when he went to the Packers, was mainly a kick returner, wore 81. Won a Super Bowl MVP, though. That's pretty cool. Absolutely, yeah. Two Heisman guys wearing 21, Barry Sanders and Desmond Howard. The great Jim Kick, and if you want to know how to spell that, it's K-I-I-C-K was part of those fantastic teams from 68 to 74. Also had a very, very, whatever, forgettable year with the Memphis Southmen of the WFL. Great runner, um, really good receiver for Bob Greasy and those teams. But Jim Kick, very fondly remembered in South Florida for sure. Number 21, who played quarterback, John Hadle. So he was a halfback in high school when he started wearing the number. He wore it at Kansas, um, where it has since been retired. And then 14 of his 15 pro seasons, he wore number 21 under center, which is 
cool, man. I wish that happened more often. And last but not least, one of my sentimental favorites is Cliff Branch, man. There's a cool number 21 playing wide receiver. That was very rare. Of course, the Raiders had both a 21 with Branch and a 25 with Fred Belenikoff as their wide receivers. He Branch was a speedster, 14-year career with the Raiders, uh, won three Super Bowls with them, had over 500 career receptions, including a, just a back-breaking touchdown against my Dolphins when he slipped on the ground, as did the two Dolphin defenders, and he got up and scored. Cliff Branch, um, I felt, was was a little underappreciated, a little overlooked as a uh, as a superstar wide receiver um, at the time. Cliff Branch, one of our sentimental favorites for sure. But let's get to the contenders. The two guys that uh, wore 21 in football that really are top of the heap. LaDainian Tomlinson wore number 21 with the Chargers, Hall of Famer, a great player in college, played for TCU in Fort Worth, wore number five at TCU, and really set the college football world on fire and put TCU on the map, really started TCU's rise to prominence. LT went to San Diego, wore 21, and just destroyed the record books for the Chargers. LT chose number 21 because Barry Sanders, as we talked about, wore number 20. The great Emmett Smith from the Cowboys wore number 22. So he went in between. He couldn't choose those guys. So he went in between and, and jumped on 21. And he kind of fits in with both those guys, man. He was, uh, he was a peer. He was in that peer group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a way, LT, I think, was overlooked early in his career. But as he kept doing this year after year, as he kept setting records, making pro bowls, being on all pro teams, I do think people recognize them. And obviously, in 2006, he won the MVP, set the NFL record for most rushing TDs and most TDs in a season period. He also holds 40, count them, 40 Charger records, and he's fifth all-time in career rushing yards. At least he was when he retired. First ballot Hall of Famer and a legend, not only in Texas, where he grew up, but obviously in Southern California. The other guy is a young man named, a very nice, mild-mannered young man named Deion Sanders. (laughs) (laughs) So Deion wore number 21 with the Falcons with the 49ers, with the Cowboys and the Redskins. He was a different level of not only cornerback, but just media darling. You know, he knew that playing cornerback was not one of the glamour positions when he was at Florida State and he was wearing number two. So he decided to put the spotlight on him at all times, certainly turned some people off, but you know what? It worked. I mean, that guy was the most sought after shut down corner in maybe an NFL history, yeah. honestly. Every, every cornerback, in my estimation, deserves to genuflect towards Deion Sanders because he's the guy who got cornerbacks paid. Yeah. Before then, they weren't getting paid a ton. And he was the guy because he was loud, because he was brash, because of the, all the different things that he could do. He was the guy who who got cornerbacks paid. So the current crop of guys, you know, Richard Sherman and the like, they should all be uh, tipping their cap to uh, Mr. Sanders, in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. And one facet of Deion Sanders' amazing career was he's a pretty good baseball player. He, um, he's yeah. the only player uh, to play in a Super Bowl and a World Series. Even Bo Jackson can't say that. He wasn't a big power guy, but he did hit 263 in the league. Stole 186 bases, played in nine major league seasons, and uh, at times would take a helicopter from one game to another game. Amazing. That was so fun. It was so part of the media circus that surrounded Neon, Dion, Primetime Sanders. But man, really focus on him as a football player. Hall of Famer in 2011, first ballot, of course. He'll go down as the greatest cornerback in our lifetime. But Dion Sanders, Probably edges LT out for greatest 21 ever, but I mean, that's a tough race. That's a great list of guys that wore 21 in football for sure. No question about it. And I think we'll be hearing Mr. Sanders' name again when we get to the Hall of Fame. But before we do that, Rudy, you have turned the corner on Screen Stars in a dramatic way. And so you are now going to be the czar of screen stars, at least for this particular podcast episode. I'm going to give you 10 guys 
who appeared in movies wearing number 21. And I want you to pick your top three. And it can be any three because all of these guys really were supporting characters in films. So follow along here. Make your notes. Do what you got to do. You ready? Let's do it. Uh, In no particular order, Bernie Mac uh, as Stan Ross in Mr. 3000 from 2004. The unforgettable Aaron Lore, who played Dean Portman. In Mighty Ducks 2 and 3, he was the enforcer in those movies. Jesse Plemons, who has had a huge career subsequently as a dramatic actor. But Jesse Plemons was Landry Clark in Friday Night Lights, the TV series, uh, a series that I can admit I have never seen. Oh, my God. Uh, But nonetheless, Jesse Plemons was Landry Clark. And I believe he kicked a field goal at some point in one of the seasons and won a championship or something. Anyway, Rob Brown who was Jamal Wallace in Finding Forrester in 2000, which was the movie where Sean Connery said, you're the man now, dog, (laughs) Uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Jonas C. Miller as Mouse in All the Right Moves, 1984. He was an Ampipe Bulldog. A little-known actor named Matt Damon. Matt Damon was Charlie Dillon in the... Movie School Ties from 1992. If you like anti-Semitism and football without face masks, <laughs> this is the movie for you. David Nydorf as Everett in Hoosiers 1986. He was Shooter's son. Patrick O'Brien Dempsey, not to be confused with Patrick Dempsey, Dr. McDreamy, but this Patrick O'Brien Dempsey was Michael Ruzioni in Miracle from 2004. The great Richard Pryor as Charlie Snow in the Bingo Long Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings from 1976. We have talked about that movie a lot (laughs) in this podcast, but it's a great movie. And finally, a movie that I still don't think, Rudy, you have seen, and this kind of bums me out, Michael Warren as Tommy Preacher White in Fast Break from 1979, Gabe Kaplan classic. Uh, And I don't believe that's a movie that you have seen, but that's the list. So do you have your top three here for screen I'm stars? ready, Tom. I'm ready. Um, Let's do it. The fact that you haven't seen Friday Night Lights, you haven't watched the greatness of Friday Night Lights. That's shameful, man. You got to get on that. There's that. I'll watch. I'll watch Fast Break, but you need to watch Friday Night Lights. To me, Friday Night Lights is as much about football as 60 Minutes is about watchmaking. It's not about so football. That's why I oh, never watched come it. Come on. All right. Never mind. Doesn't matter. Let me give you my top three. And by the way, Jesse Plemons is definitely in the top three. So here's my argument for Jesse Plemons. Not only, okay, definitely a dork, definitely a dork, geek, whatever, nerd, whatever. Ends up dating arguably the most attractive young lady in the show. Okay. Kicks winning field goals, kills a guy. They hide it. Yes. Kills a guy and goes on to probably have the most productive career. Maybe Kyle Chandler who played Eric Taylor would have an argument with that. But, um, Jesse Plemons is everywhere. I mean, everywhere. He's got a really, that is yeah, true. I mean, he's got some dark, he's that is got true. some and dark he's, roles too. <laughs> yeah. He's continuing to kill people. Yeah. Breaking Bad. He's killing dudes. Fargo. He's killing dudes. I mean, he's, he's a killing machine. He's a killing machine, but let's, let's give him props for top three. I'm going to go with Matt Damon. Charlie Dillon in School Ties is my number two. Yeah. Obviously, Matt Damon is Matt Damon. That's a great movie, man. Very preppy football. And we always need preppy football without face masks. And Matt Damon throwing the key block and not really getting much love from his father. But that's okay. So he's number two on my list. And number one, not to shortchange, we shortchanged Michael Ruzioni earlier. I'm not doing it this time. Patrick O'Brien Dempsey clearly the number one number 21 ever to show his wares on the screen miracle is a great movie patrick o'brien dempsey scores the winning goal and i love the movie so he's number one on my list man and just like everything else in the 21s there is a buttload of 21s on screen on tv in the movie <laughs> that's a lot of guys man. an official unit of measure the buttload all right so to sum up rudy's picks number three jesse plemons as landry clark in friday night lights the tv series a series that i have never seen but apparently will be seeing in the near future 
Number two, Matt Damon as Charlie Dillon in School Ties from 1992. And number one, Patrick O'Brien Dempsey as the great Mike Aruzioni in Miracle from 2004. So that's Screen Stars with a tremendous assist. This is me running back up the floor, pointing at you, Rudy, for your assist. And now we move from the ridiculous to the sublime with the Hall of Shame and the Derek Rose Award. And Rudy, you're going to take the Derek Rose Award. And I understand we have three contenders this time, right? We certainly do. We've got three guys that really all of them deserve the Derek Rose Award. One reason or another, Kurt Flood played 15 seasons with the Reds, the Cardinals, and the Senators. At age 31, he challenged baseball's reserve clause in court, and he lost. However, it did pave the way to something called free agency. Uh, As a sports fan, we either love or we hate, but we all have an opinion about it, and it comes up all the time. But Kurt Flood was the uh, trailblazer in that regard and and really will be known as that. Again, that could be known as a good thing or a bad thing, but for players, it's been a magnificent thing. But number 21, Kurt Flood, is one of our uh, Derrick Rose Award recipients. Sean Taylor, man, what a great player he was at Miami. Was a fantastic safety for the Redskins. Played four seasons with the Skins and was tragically murdered in his home in 2007. He would have been one of the greats. You kind of look at him and think maybe an Ed Reed career was in uh, was yep. shaping up, and uh, I think that's fair. But we lost him too early, obviously. But Sean Taylor, the third guy is Ken Caminiti, power-hitting third baseman for the Padres, the Astros, three-time gold glove winner, switch hitting. But after winning the NL MVP in 1996, which – was the year really he started taking steroids. A big story came out. I think, wasn't it an SI story? That, that Yeah, it was that, a Sports Illustrated uh, cover story yeah. in 2002 uh, where he admitted he owned the fact that he took steroids. Yeah, and he at the time thought that about half the players were taking steroids, which probably was right, right? Unfortunately, as, as things are, lived a fast life. You know, he died. He died of an overdose, right? Yeah, he died of an overdose in 2005, just months before they had the congressional hearing about steroids. Yeah, amazing. You know, sad, sad end. The Derrick Rose Award is a mixture of sadness and free agency. So, um, but all three of those guys wore number 21. And that takes us to the Hall of Shame. We've got two gentlemen for the Hall of, uh, Hall of Shame that wore number 21. The runner-up, if you will, is Jay Johnstone. Jay Johnstone was a member of the Dodgers 1981 World Series team and was a part of a musical act called the Big Blue Wrecking Crew with teammates Jerry Royce, Rick Monday, and Steve Yeager. And they once went on a show called Solid Gold and performed a remake of Queen's classic, We Are the Champions. And it sounded terrible. And it sounded like this. Time after time I've done my sentence but committed no crime. So Jay Johnstone <laughs> is our is our runner-up to uh, a Michigan guy, unfortunately, here, Rudy. Our Hall of Shame recipient, number one with a bullet, Ramil Robinson. Ramil Robinson was a member of Michigan's 1989 National Championship team, drafted 10th overall by the Atlanta Hawks in 1990, bounced around the NBA, never really kind of caught on much of anywhere because he averaged seven and a half points and three and a half assists a game. But really the reason that he deserves the Hall of Shame award is for what he did after his playing career. He received an excess of $1.2 million in loans to develop a 25,000 acre resort in his native Jamaica. Less than 5%, less than 5% of $1.2 million, Rudy, went to the project and the rest went to Ramil Robinson's lavish lifestyle. Uh, He eventually sold his adoptive mother's house out from underneath her and she was forced to move out in 2009. Silver lining, she actually got the house back in in 2013. Robinson was eventually convicted of 11 counts of bank bribery, wire fraud, and so forth, was sentenced to six and a half years, was ordered to pay $1.2 million in restitution. He was released in 2016 on five-year supervised release, which will continue until September of next year. 
So Ramil Robinson, congratulations. You win the Hall of Shame Award for number 21. But as any good Michigan fan will tell you, we don't remember that as much, Tom. We just remember the free throws he made <laughs> against Seton Hall to win the national championship. Let's take this over to the heat check because we have some guys on our list of 21s that are um, either early on or in the middle of some pretty promising careers. I'll attack this list with vigor. One of my favorite players and one of the most polarizing players in the NBA is Joel Embiid, wore number 21 at Kansas and wears it with the Sixers. He wears it because of Tim Duncan, which makes sense. A lot of people feel like he could be the best big man in the game, or maybe he is already on certain nights. Uh, But when he's in shape, I mean, he's a double-double machine, and he has potential to be one of the best players in the NBA. We'll see if that works out. Another is Walker Bueller, Texas Ranger. Actually, he's a (laughs) Dodger, but I just like saying that. Very promising young arm for the Dodgers. Really, he's become their ace as Kershaw has had some injury issues over the last few years. And so he's an an easy choice. And as is Zeke Elliott, big-time player coming out of Ohio State, won a national championship with them. But he's already a three-time pro bowler, won the uh, rushing title twice, and, you know, just a dynamic player. So those are three of the guys on our list. Tell us a little bit more about some of the other characters. We've got a brand new addition to the 21 list, Todd Gurley. Oh, yeah. uh, Who wore number 30 with uh, distinction with the Rams, is now going to wear number 21 in the super ugly, completely disgusting new Atlanta Falcons uniforms, which suck so hard, it's not even funny. A little bit of a controversy there. He had a little thing going back and forth with Deion Sanders, who we mentioned earlier, about whether or not Deion wanted him to wear 21, whether he deserved to wear 21. Nonetheless, he's wearing 21. So if you can avert your eyes and somehow watch the Falcons in those disgusting, horrible uniforms that they have, Uh, You will see Todd Gurley wearing number 21 this season. Another running back who has been playing since 1935 is Frank Gore. Frank Gore is third all-time in rushing yards, uh, just past Barry Sanders on that list. He is a five-time All-Pro. He is a member of the 2010 All-Decade team. He wore number 20 and number 23, so he'd he'd probably be higher on the list if he had worn 21 throughout. This will be his 16th season in the NFL. He's playing with the Jets. Remember, he also won a national championship at Miami all the way back in 2001. So he almost won a national championship in a completely different century and has been playing football since then. And another football player on the list is Patrick Peterson. So Patrick Peterson has spent his entire nine-year career with the Cardinals. Not sure that that makes him super happy, but nonetheless, uh, he's established himself as one of the best defensive backs in the game. Great cover corner. And he's also the guy who started the tradition of LSU players wearing number seven. So kind of the best player at LSU wears number seven, Tyron Matthew, uh, Grant Delpit, and others have worn number seven. But he was the guy who started that tradition. Who else we got on the list, Rudy? Well, we got Zach Greinke, uh, who wore number 21 with the Dodgers in 2013. And since has worn it with the Diamondback and Astros. Very good pitcher. We got Todd Frazier, uh, now with the Rangers. And two-time All-Star with the Reds. But really, the only thing that matters in a Todd Frazier bio is the fact that he was four for four with a leadoff home run and was winning pitcher in the championship game of the little league world series against Japan, American hero, Todd Frazier, man, <laughs> 1998, literally single-handedly beat the Japanese to win the little league world series. And those world series victories for the United States have been few and far between. So we remember each one of them fondly, Todd Frazier an American hero, Hassan Whiteside, a very confusing, maddening big man. There's nights where he looks like he's unstoppable. There's nights that look like he is just stealing money from the team that's paying him. He does have a super cool nickname, Count Blockula. I love that. That's cool. He just doesn't bring it every night. But he's definitely a solid number 21. And last but not least, Braden Point, a great two-way player, young guy, uh, very talented guy for the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, our only hockey guy on the guys to look for. But man, uh, yet again, another great list of 21s, guys that maybe someday would make our Hall of Fame list, but they're not on it yet. So let's talk about our Hall of Fame list now. Again, we got a little preview from Jay Billis 
Remind us of the order that Jay put it in, Tom. Jay had Stan Makita at number five, yep. Deion Sanders at number four, Roger Clemens at three, despite the fact that he showed up six and a half hours late to a commercial shoot, yep. Tim Duncan number two, and Roberto Clemente number one. So let's talk a little bit about each of those guys. Uh, Makita, probably I would agree, is number five. Would you agree with that, Rudy? Yeah. For um, sure. I mean, by far the best hockey player to wear 21. Let's talk about three contributions to American life for Stan Makita. Number one, he's the guy who popularized the curve stick and using a blowtorch to bend your stick. Uh, he was one of the first guys to wear a helmet full time. And that was because in 1967, an errant shot tore off a piece of his ear. They sewed it back on, but nonetheless, he was like, I'm wearing a helmet. And third, but but maybe most importantly, he has a cameo sitting at the counter of Stan Makita Donuts in the movie Wayne's World and allowed his likeness to be used for the drive-up window, if you remember that little scene from the movie. So Stan Makita is uh, number five. Rudy, who we got at number four? Well, we slotted Mr. Deion Sanders at number four. Again, we mentioned him earlier, the number one football player, just edging out. LT, two-time All-American and Thorpe Award winner at Florida State. Really good player, and he came in number four. Yeah, and one of the great quotes of all time, you look good, you feel good, you feel good, you play good, you play good, they pay good. Begrudgingly, number three, yes, Roger Clemens. Gotta do it. Roger Clemens uh, wore number 21 in Boston and Toronto. Neither Boston or Toronto have yet seen fit to retire number 21 in his honor. Also wore number 12 with the Yankees and 22 with the Astros. And an interesting story, didn't wear 21 with the Astros because Andy Pettit was also on on the uh, team. And Andy Pettit was wearing 21 to honor Roger Clemens. So Roger Clemens is number three on the 21 list. Rudy, who's number two? I'm going to put Roberto Clemente at number two. Are you with me on that? I'm not okay. with you on this, but go ahead. Okay. All right. I'm well, interested to hear your argument for Tim Duncan at number one. So go Tim do it. Duncan at number one. So Tim Duncan, again, when you're talking about all time grades, Tim Duncan is a, is a defining player in the NBA. He was good off the court, which is important. He's good on the court, which is super important. I just think as, in terms of, dominating his sport. He has the championships, played with the same team forever, Olympic medalist, Hall of Famer. I just think Tim Duncan's the greatest, number 21 to ever do it. But I love Roberto Clemente, so I'm not knocking him. Um, (laughs) And I'm not at all. I'd say one and one A, but that's my argument for Tim Duncan. Yeah, and a cogent argument well made on your part there, Rudy. To me, Clemente is the definitive 21. Uh, I agree with Jay Billis in that regard. We talked earlier about all the things that he did on the field, but some of the things that he did off the field, I think, is maybe what what elevates him in my mind. If you remember, he died in a plane crash on a humanitarian mission to deliver aid to Nicaragua after an earthquake. He died on New Year's Eve, 1972, was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 73. He and Lou Gehrig are the only two guys who have been enshrined in the Hall of Fame without having to wait the customary five years. The Roberto Clemente Award is awarded every year for humanitarian work. Players like Willie Mays, Pete Rose, Al Kaline, Lou Brock, Dale Murphy, and Clayton Kershaw have all won that award. Number 21 is retired by the Pirates, obviously. And there's been a movement to retire 21 throughout Major League Baseball, as they've done with 42. For you uniform nerds, he's the first player to have his jersey number on a memorial patch instead of just the black armband. And his name resonates in Major League Baseball. Uh, Players like the aforementioned Carlos Delgado, Ruben Sierra, Sammy Sosa, even Paul O'Neill and Nick Marcakis all wore 21 in honor of Roberto Clemente. So Roberto Clemente is, to me, number one, Tim Duncan may be a close second, but I can certainly understand your point of view, Rudy. So I'm going to say it's Makita, Sanders, Clemens, Duncan, Clemente. And you are going to say what, sir? Man, it's hard to make an argument against your your argument, <laughs> but um, I want to have Tim Duncan do some humanitarian efforts in the next few years, and then he'll be number one. But I've got Tim, Roberto, 
Roger Clemens, who should be in the Hall of Fame, sir. Oh, Deion Sanders and Stan Makita as our as my top five. Yeah, Roger Clemens not in the Punctuality Hall of Fame, but should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is for great baseball players and not for great people. So that'll do it for this edition of Putting Up Numbers. Our thanks to our guest Jay Billis. Remember, you can find show notes and more at our website, puttingupnumbers.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our little dog and pony show here. We do appreciate it. We'll be back soon with another edition. Until then, I'm Tom Davis. And I am Rudy Klanick. We'll see you next time on Putting Up Numbers.